It's 2015 and it's the news, this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 67, our third news edition of all time, which is going to cover sort of January and uh, kind of the first half of February of 2015. Joe here, uh, back with you. We're going to talk news. We're not talking about a particular uh, game this time around. That's that's for next week. But, uh, you know, as for me, I, I hope to get this out kind of during this week. I was away uh, on my my annual ski vacation out west in, uh, in Fernie, B.C., and uh, you know what? It turns out that I thought, oh, at night, you know, we don't do much. I have time and uh, I relax and, and all this stuff. So I could, you know, write up my few little notes and record the show. But you know what? We skied all day and uh, it was damned hard. Uh, fun, amazingly fun, but tiring. So uh, at night, you know, what? we got would get back to the condo. We'd cook some dinner and uh, have a few drinks and uh, just basically laze around. So uh, I got a little bit of, uh, of prep done while I was there. But uh, you know what? I kind of figured I was on vacation, so... Why not sit and enjoy it and, uh, you know, spend time with my wife and my father-in-law and uh, exactly that. So, uh, yeah, vacation was was really great. Um, you know, the weather could have been uh, a bit more conducive. Uh, the west of the country, the west of the continent, I'd say, you know, this year is uh, is a little bit weird. It's been warm. They haven't been getting tons of snow. And the east, where I came from, <laughs> was getting hammered, you know, kind of New York, Vermont, that whole, uh, you know, Boston is getting hammered with snow and the, you know, kind of the maritime provinces up in Canada. And, uh, you know, so maybe had we decided to stay a bit closer to home, we would have had a bit more snow, but you know what? You can't, uh, you can't go wrong with a big mountain and, uh, you know, the upper mountain was great. Good snow coverage there. Lots of good long runs. My legs are tired. So, uh, overall I'd say successful trip and the ski season is not at all over, but, uh, you know, all, all that aside, Let's get to the news, because that is what we're here to talk about. So, first, in the news, I'm back on January 2nd. Game Informer released a small interview, kind of like a, a teaser interview, with Ken Williams in the wake of uh, his and uh, and his wife Roberta's uh, relatively recent recognition at the Game Awards. Now, in this interview, he discusses his thoughts on um, what makes a King's Quest game, you know, what elements kind of uh, comprise a King's Quest game, uh, what his concerns are about the series coming back, and his un- opinions about, you know, what he's seen of uh, of the new game. Now, one thing, it's an interesting interview, all kind of pretty pretty reasonable, but one thing stuck out to me, though, and uh, that was his statements regarding fan games. And I know a lot of you guys out there have played a lot of fan games, King's Quest, you know, Sierra fan games in particular, and other fan games in general. And uh, so when Ken Williams was asked what he thought of fan remakes and fan sequels, uh, he said the following, and I quote, The days of a great product being built in a garage are pretty much behind us. There might be some opportunity on mobile devices which are gutless, but generally speaking, it takes many millions of dollars to build a world-class game. Anything less than that is a waste of time and effort. It's flattering, but it is not likely to make you any- to make anyone money. I always supported the fan products and thought they were cool, but... I also typically encourage people to put their energy into something that had a chance to make money, end quote. Now, I love Ken Williams. I I do. I mean, the things he did for the PC game industry are unquestionably important. But, 
I mean, this statement comes across to me as very narrow-minded and frankly a little bit arrogant. I mean, to say that no game that doesn't come out of a AAA studio with a AAA budget with hundreds of people working on it, to say that a game like that won't be a success, it's, it, I mean, that's just plain wrong. I mean, we've seen many examples of indie games doing incredibly well and, frankly, big budget games flopping. Now, I don't know what his measurement of success is. Obviously, you know, Battlefield 3 or Battlefield 4 or whatever the current Battlefield is, I don't even know. Uh, even if it doesn't do well, it's going to make more money than, uh, you know, Kerbal Space Program or something else coming out of an indie studio. But, you know, I think it just shows that he's a little bit out of touch with the industry. And, and I mean, that's not a bad thing. He's not in the industry. He's he's retired. But to say stuff like that, it, it just comes across as uninformed. And, uh, you know, it's not really that great, in my opinion. I mean, that aside, the interview's interesting. And a full feature on King's Quest can be found in the February issue of Game Informer. All right, next, on January 8th, Polygon reported that a new Baldur's Gate game is in the works. So, uh, you know, on top of the enhanced editions of the first two Baldur's Gate games, we are apparently getting a new entry into the series. A completely new game, not enhanced version of an old game or anything like that. So uh, this game, previously teased as uh, simply uh, Adventure Y has been revealed as a new Baldur's Gate adventure uh, set in the time frame between Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Uh, it'll run on the Infinity Engine, which is the same engine that powered the other games in that series. Uh, they're not saying much else about it right now, aside from the fact that it's a much bigger game than uh, they've ever put out before and uh, that we should wait until early spring for additional announcements. Now, I am absolutely, I will say this for a fact, and I've said it before, I'm I'm not a huge DOS-era RPG player, uh, but Baldur's Gate is one I've played a bit here and there through the years. I've got it on my iPad. I should probably revisit it. Um, and I'm interested to see what they come up with here, especially, um, you know, for the day that I do cover uh, that great RPG series. Next, on January 12th, so we're kind of progressing through. There was a lot of stuff kind of beginning of January, I guess after the uh, the lull you know, over the holidays, uh, a whole bunch of news came out in early January. So January 12th, uh, a new Kickstarter for Shadowrun Hong Kong launched. Uh, the company Hairbrain Schemes, guys who made the previous games, uh, they are planning to create a third full-length standalone game in uh, their revived Shadowrun series. Now, they're aiming to put out a 12-hour experience uh, that's bigger and better and, and all that noise than... Uh, than the previous two installments, which frankly, uh, though I haven't played them myself, uh, from trusted sources, I can definitely say that, uh, you know, they're they're quite good. Now, this isn't just a regular old Kickstarter. And, uh, you know, I think this team is actually doing something a bit unique with this particular campaign. So instead of aiming for like a million dollar goal or a $600,000 goal, which kind of seems to be the, the minimum for a game project, you know, to fund the whole thing from scratch... They're looking at more of a, a co-funding approach. Uh, so with the sales of the previous two games, Hairbrain Schemes apparently has enough funding, enough capital stored up to create what they see as the minimum, the basic game. And uh, so what this Kickstarter is aimed at in particular is really additional features. So, you know, they they set a mo pretty modest for them funding goal of uh, $100,000. And, uh, 
you know, the game, Shadowrun Hong Kong, is going to come out regardless of uh, of the Kickstarter campaign. You know, if, if they do fund at $100,000, you'll get what they call enhanced player controls. Now, beyond that, every additional $50,000 nets us a new feature. You know, more animation, more in-game allies, more side quests. Uh, so the campaign ends in a little over a day from now. It's kind of a Monday afternoon. And uh, they've already reached over a million dollars of funding. So I think the top tier thing was uh, kind of a mini a mini campaign that's additional to the main campaign. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting idea. So, you know, this is a slightly different approach to Kickstarter, which I sort of think is nice. You know, the campaign is basically just stretch goals. Uh, and I guess I could kind of see this as being reassuring to potential backers. Now, no matter what happens, at least in relation to the Kickstarter funding, they're promising us a game here. It said that this, this money is not to make the game. The game is funded. The game is being made. We're working on it. And, uh, you know, no matter what, you're getting a game. So all you're backing is bonus features. And I'd, I'd like to th- know what you guys think of this approach. I mean, it's it's definitely different. And with a lot of kind of recent, shall we say, Kickstarter blunders, failed projects, things folding after they've been released, I think it's nice to kind of have Kickstarter as not so much a fallback, but as a bonus. So, you know, like I said, we're getting a game. And if you guys want all this other stuff donate and we can do it. I I think, like I said, a cool approach. So now we move on to January 19th with what is, for me personally, and I'm sure a lot of you, huge news. Uh, A new batch of LucasArts titles re-released on, or released or re-released on GOG.com. This includes games like X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter, X-Wing Alliance, Galactic Battlegrounds, Star Wars Battlefront 2, Dark Forces, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Rogue Squadron 3D, Rebellion, Empire at War, Republic Commando, Dark Forces 2, and Star Wars Starfighter. That's not even including, that's all of them. Uh, You know, huge, huge influx of classic Star Wars gaming here that makes me really excited. Uh, You know, I, I have so much to say about almost any of these games. Some things are good, some things are not so good. But uh, to me, there's a few standouts here. Uh, Firstly, of course, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. Now, when X-Wing versus TIE Fighter first came out, I enjoyed it, but I didn't quite get it. Because, you know, I think I said it in the X-Wing episode way back when. um, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter was really ahead of its time with, with, you know, multiplayer. Uh, I know uh, my friend Brian, the space game junkie, uh, has actually been hosting X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter matches every Thursday evening for the past few weeks uh, using the GOG version. Uh, I haven't had the chance to join them as of yet, but uh, I'm absolutely planning on it. Frankly, I don't think any space games really capture the same experience as X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter does with cooperative multiplayer and, uh, you know, in the expansion to the game uh, with the complex and shifting objectives, co-op, that stuff it's it's really very cool it's not just head to head you know blow each other up there's 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 a story that you can play through and uh it's it's difficult you really have to be a coordinated team and uh i i honestly don't think that another that other games have done this since x-wing versus tie fighter now aside from that x-wing alliance is a great addition uh battlefront is is battlefront everyone you know everyone's hoping for battlefront 3 and so we got battlefront 2 and republic commando is absolutely a diamond in the rough that I think a lot of people missed. I, I came across it. I'm not even sure how I got my hands on it, but uh, I do remember playing through it, and and it was surprisingly good. I wasn't expecting much of it, and uh, it was a lot more engaging than I thought it would be. 
Finally, though, I want to talk a bit about Rebellion. Now, Star Wars Rebellion is sort of a 4X kind of civilization space, you know, style game set in the Star Wars universe. And I played the hell out of this game back in the day. I mean, the game was very grand and it was very ambitious and it definitely had its flaws. But I think now without recently replaying it, as as I tend to do with this show, just from memory, uh, I think it's worth a look. Uh, I'll absolutely be giving it giving Rebellion its own episode one of these days, just because it's it's quite a unique game. So lots of new Star Wars on GOG. Go check it out. All there, all available, all relatively, you know, reasonably priced. And uh, hey, we all love GOG, don't we? Next, a little bit of Tex Murphy news. Now, it appears that new ebook versions of the novelizations of Under a Killing Mood... <laughs> under a killing mood. Under a killing moon. That might put you in a killing mood. Uh, so <laughs> that one, the Pandora Directive and uh, and Tesla Effect, the newer game, are uh, are all available for purchase from AaronConnors.net. Now I have the trade paperback version of Tesla Effect, and you know, let me tell you, these novelizations aren't just a walkthrough of the game. It's not just a description of text walked into this room and then he looked at this and then he picked up this item and combined it with that item. You know, Aaron Connors is actually a very compelling writer and and these are really great reads you know he takes the story of the game and he adapts it he refocuses it into an interesting narrative he stresses different aspects of the adventure and kind of really refocuses the flow of the story from you know walking from place to place and solving puzzles to weaving a compelling novel for us to to read and experience on top of these ebooks Audiobook versions of uh, the three novels are due to be released uh, fairly soon. I don't have any more details on that. Who's voicing them? Hopefully it's, you know, Tex himself. But uh, aside from that, these are great books. Uh, you know, the the original uh, paper Dead Tree versions are definitely still available. Um, the versions for uh, Under Killing Moon and Pandora Directive have been revised as of 2014. So if you have the old versions, these are new. I'm not sure exactly what's different about them, but... Uh, Go check it out, AaronConnors.net. Great reads and uh, great stories. All right, now we're cutting a little later into January on the 29th. And on the 29th of January, the International House of Mojo posted a quote from the Double Fine forums. Uh, Matt Hansen, Double Fine's VP of Development, posted the following in a thread discussing uh, the Day of the Tentacle special edition that was recently announced. Uh, he writes, and I quote, I have to be careful with being too open since it isn't our license, but I will say that I am very happy with the stuff from Singapore so far. End quote. So what does this mean? Well, you may remember way back when uh, LucasArts Singapore was working on a remaster of Day of the Tentacle. Uh, it was reportedly around 80% complete when the LucasArts or Lucasfilm Disney acquisition went through, which caused the project to be cancelled. Well, based on this you know, one-liner... Uh, it appears, that, or at least that we can infer, that Double Fine may have gotten their hands on the assets from that project. They would have gone to Disney when, uh, when the, you know, the acquisition went through. Uh, you know, that might go a long way if, if they're up to snuff and up to, uh, you know, Tim Schafer standards. Um, it might go a long way toward accelerating the Day of the Tentacle special edition project that was announced back in December. And, you know, now that Grim Fandango Remastered has been released, which we're going to talk about in the next show... Double Fine is apparently shifting their focus to uh, this remastered 
Day of the Tentacle. And a little more recent, uh, I think we're into February now, in more Kickstarter news, a company called Other Side Entertainment is trying to fund a game named Underworld Ascendant. Now, Other Side consists of members from the original Ultima Underworld team, and this project is looking to create a new entry into that franchise in Ultima Underworld that began back in 1992 with uh, the original game. Now, they're looking to raise $600,000, and they're currently sitting around $450,000, with uh, 17 days remaining in the campaign. Now, this is not a home run. They haven't hit a million dollars in an hour or anything like that. But uh, if you go on to KickTrack, which is a great site that kind of tracks the progression of uh, Kickstarter campaigns, uh, they seem to imply that uh, at the rate funding is increasing, they will uh, reach their goal before the end of the campaign. They're kind of aiming right now for... I think 180%, so just over a million dollars, or just under a million dollars. Math is hard. Um, so if you're a fan of fantasy RPGs, and in particular a fan of Ultima Underworld, I'm not a, uh, a huge, as I said, RPG fan, uh, go check out Underworld Ascendant. It seems that uh, you know these guys, the, the former team, were able to get the rights to Ultima Underworld from, I guess it's EA that has it now. So... You know, it's going to be in the universe, and uh, hey, that sounds pretty cool. In a bit more GOG news, uh, another new publisher has gone live on the site. This has been, uh, this was just last week. Uh, Warner Brothers Interactive has is now uh, selling games on GOG. Now, in general... I won't say this is incredibly huge for Dawson pre-Windows XP gaming, except for one set of games. So they have, uh, you know, the Lego games and uh, Fear, which, you know, it's it's older, but that's still a 2005 game, which is kind of out of my scope. But GOG also released Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and 3. Now, I never really considered Mortal Kombat to kind of fit into the scope of the show, if only that for me, Mortal Kombat was very, very much uh, a console experience. But of course, PC versions were released and they were also notoriously difficult to get running on modern hardware. So, uh, you know, GOG stepped in and worked their magic on them and you can grab all three games in a single package for $5.99. And, you know, like I said, I hadn't ever considered uh, Mortal Kombat for this show, but given this, and I know uh, Anatoly, uh, my buddy there, Dos Nostalgic, uh, has been t- t- tweeting about it quite a bit. And, uh, you know, maybe I will do a show on Mortal Kombat. It, it hadn't entered my mind, but uh, but why the hell not? I don't think I've even really done a fighting game. You know, I could do things like One Must Fall and, and other stuff like that. But, you know, Mortal Kombat is definitely controversial. And it definitely has a story behind it. So, uh, hey, maybe uh, you'll see it pretty soon. Finally, for uh, for the news portion of the show, a uh, little bit of a downer, unfortunately, and very sad news. Uh, famed voiceover performer Gary Owens uh, passed away on February 12th of uh, complications from his lifelong battle with diabetes. Now, aside from an amazingly prolific career in television and radio and animation and producing and all kinds of, of media... Gary is well known to us, in particular, as the narrator from Space Quest 4 
and six, which, uh, as I've mentioned many, many times, and you guys have told me many, many times was a huge part of, uh, of our early gaming experiences. You know, as, as sad as it is, this also causes some issues for the upcoming space venture project from the two guys from Andromeda. Uh, Owens was set to reprise his role as the narrator in the new game. And sadly, uh, his, his voice work had yet to be recorded. Uh, in a post over at spacequest.net, Mark Crow posted the following, and I quote, Hey gang, Scott and I are both very saddened by the news of uh, Gary Owens' passing at the age of 80. What can we say? The man was a living legend in the entertainment biz, whom we were both extremely privileged to have had the opportunity to work with and honored to have featured in Space Quest. It was definitely a high point in our younger lives slash careers and an experience I'll always look back on warmly. What makes this news doubly hard, of course, is that, as you all know, Gary was to be featured as the narrator in Space Venture. Unfortunately, Mr. Owens' health fell into decline before we were able to record him. But what we want everyone to know is that, though we could never replace Gary as the narrator, we will work hard to find the right talent for the job. End quote. Uh, I mean, you know, this is really sad, and, and I do wish the guys uh, the best in finding a suitable substitute for, for Gary. And of course, my deep condolences go out to Mr. Owens's family. And in honor of Gary, uh, I'm going to play one of my favorite lines from Space Quest 4, which of course is this one. We're glad you could play Space Quest 4. As usual, you've been a real pantload. Truly a voice that, uh, that cannot be matched. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Okay, so on that sad note, let's liven things up uh, a little bit. We got a lot of emails based on the last show talking about Privateer. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them here since some of them have more to do with uh, the next episode on Grim Fandango. But hey, I love emails, so let's read the ones that uh, that we can uh, right now. First, we have uh, the first half of, uh, of a message from Alima, and she writes, Hello, Joe and fellow blockers. Thanks a bunch for the Privateer episode. I was looking forward to the episode because I really, really enjoyed the Wing Commander series. My dad bought the first game for us back in the day, and though I was awful, we still had fun with it. The post-briefing scramble to your ship scene is etched in my brain forever. In the 2000s, I went back and played through the entire series, and although I'm half the space sim enthusiast you are, I still really, really love the series. I never really played through Privateer, though, so I was curious to hear more about it. I loved your presentation of the game. Uh, I had a few good chuckles, namely with the intro, do you even care about tracking down the Steltic drone? But uh, when you presented the genre, come on, Joe, I was thinking, everyone knows independent business person is just code for space trucker. I have to admit, I was a bit taken aback when you gave your verdict on Privateer 2. I don't think you've ever been this negative on a game before. Sounds like a shame because of all they poured into it. Not to mention the cast, Clive Owen, John Hurt, Christopher Walken, David Warner, Jurgen Pronchow. Wow. But after 66 episodes and mostly agreeing with your assessment, of the games we've in common, I kind of trust your judgment. It's just that it's always a bit sad to see this happen when you know how much the developers put into it. Anyhow, thanks for that Privateer episode. Well, thanks, Alima. And, you know, it, I mean, it did make me sad to, uh, you know, it does it does make me sad to give negative reviews on games. But, I mean, honestly, when when the game just isn't good, I, I can't help it. <laughs> you know, I, I have to be honest about what I think about these things. And I'm generally a fairly positive person. So it, it does really take a lot 
but uh you know sometimes there's just some games that uh that just aren't that good you know and you know thanks thanks for the memories and thanks for the uh you know obviously i'm a huge wing commander fan and and i agree with you i always say about wing commander one and that particular scene where you're scrambling to your ship that was the scene that will always stick in my mind that when I looked at it, I said, my computer cannot look this good. It should not be able to do this thing. It shouldn't be able to look this realistic. So, you know, Wing Commander is seminal. And, uh, you know, Privateer is definitely an interesting game. It was definitely not necessarily the first of its kind, but but a very unique game that uh, defined a genre in and of its own right. So next, we have a note from Henrik. And he writes, Hi, Joe. I wanted to chime in on the last episode. I played and completed Privateer many times since the 90s and uh, have a weird love-hate relationship with it. Uh, Emirate Akugo pretty much said it all in his voicemail. It has a great atmosphere and immersion, but the gameplay just got too many things wrong. Anyway, I'm writing. Uh, the reason I'm writing is uh, that I would like to give my recommendation to the blockers for a Privateer clone named ASCII Sector. Now, that's ASCII, like American Standard Code for Information Interchange, the uh the acronym. Um, so yeah, it's named ASCII Sector, and it is uh, what the name says, a privateer reimagining created entirely in text mode. <laughs> I know this sounds insane, but apart from being 2D and being displayed entirely with ASCII characters, it actually it's actually the most truthful recreation of privateer I've seen so far. All the ships and planets are very easy to recognize. It uses the original music and really recreates that privateer feeling. On the other hand, it fixes all the major shortcomings of the original and adds a lot of original new content, like being able to freely move around on bases, ground combat, shipboarding, proper item pricing, a decent navigation and economy system, and so on. I'm hoping more blockers discover this. I think it's an amazing piece of work by a single developer that just doesn't get enough attention. When I I crave for privateer these days, I usually go for ASCII sector. Love the show, Joe. Keep the episodes coming. Well, thank you, Henrik, and wow. I'm amazed. So you can find it at ASCIISector.com. That's A-S-C-I-I-S-E-C-T-O-R.com. I'm definitely going to link this in the show notes. And I want to go check this out because um, it seems it's like it's it's a really unique take on things. And on top of that, if it does fix a bunch of issues, uh, I'm going to check this out. I, I am incredibly interested. I've never heard about this before. So, uh, so thank you very much for that. And, uh, you guys go check it out. And if you play it, Hey, drop me a line and let me know, uh, let me know what you think. I'm going to try and give it a whirl myself. And so for the last item in, uh, in text format, shall we say, we have a website comment coming from Daishi424. And obviously based on that name, I think this is going to be about uh, MechWarrior. He writes, I assume it's a he, but let's go with it. Uh, hello, Joe. I recently subscribed to your podcast and listened to the past shows when uh, with my favorite games. I have a question regarding this particular podcast back from 2012. So you mentioned MechWarrior Online, which was still basically a dark horse in its closed beta state. But since then, quite a bit of time has passed and the game got released and showed its true face. My question is, what are your current thoughts on this game? Do you still play it, enjoy it, or hate it? Thanks for a great show and cheers from a fellow Battletech fan. Well... Uh, honestly, <laughs> I haven't really played it in, uh, since, you know, since, since around the time that I talked about it, since it, I don't even know if I played it after it came out of beta. Um, I should, because I was a founder and, and, and all that noise, but, uh, and I found it very interesting. I enjoyed the show or sorry, the show. I enjoyed the game a lot when, uh, when it was in beta and, uh, you know, there's no reason, no real reason that I stopped playing. So, uh, 
So I think I, if I can find the time, I'm going to hop back in and uh, and see what there is to see because you know I know uh, I as I mentioned now and again I fre- I frequent the gamers with jobs forum and um, I know there's a very active MechWarrior online thread there. So uh, it does seem like the game is is rolling along. I still get emails about it, and you know they release new mechs, and you know I haven't really paid much attention to the community. I don't know how how pay to win if it is pay to win or anything like that, or if you can just jump in with a free account and and be competitive. Uh, hopefully uh, that's the case. But uh, yeah, I mean you you kind of jog my memory about the fact that uh, that the game still is still going on, and uh, I haven't spent much time in it. So so thanks for that, and. As it stands, honestly, I don't have an opinion about how it is because because I haven't been in. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. All right. So to uh, to end off the the email section, I got three voicemails this week, which is freaking crazy. Uh, so let's start off with the first voicemail from Trolls. Hi, Joe. I'm the Space Quest historian, but you already knew that, and I'm coming to you live, or well, pre-recorded from an undisclosed location. Okay, it's my bathroom. Um, check out the acoustics in here. It's wonderful, isn't it? Um, anyway, I just wanted to chime in briefly, if I may, and... Oh, am I kidding? Of course I may. Now, um, I just wanted to chime in briefly on my thoughts on Broken Sword, the director's cut, from that previous wonderful episode of yours. Um, I understand you had some, uh, uh, listener emails about, uh, how my criticisms of Broken Sword, the director's cut, were unfairly, uh, leveled. Uh, perhaps due to the fact that uh, I was playing the Wii version. So uh, many of my criticisms were, um, I guess, uh, mm, I guess uh, could be attributed to the fact that I was playing the Wii version and therefore had to do a lot of stick waggling. And um, that's part of the reason why I hated it so much, but it goes a bit deeper than that. And I just wanted to clarify that um, I didn't hate Broken Sword, the director's cut, because I was playing the Wii version and I had to twist my uh, wrist into places that it wasn't supposed to go and, and contort it into, a, you know, um, like a contortionist. Um, the uh, real reason I hate it is because it really felt like a deeply unnecessary polish of a game that didn't need polish in the first place. Um, for one, they couldn't be bothered, or I suppose it was unfeasible. Either way, I'm, I'm choosing to believe that they couldn't be bothered to uh, dredge up the original voice files and, uh, you know, put them in the game in, in, uh, in higher fidelity when they clearly could be bothered to get an actress in and record Nico's lines. Um, I remember uh, Ikifu on Twitter, our good friend who does the uh, uh, Let's Plays and um, and uh, reviews of uh, point-and-click games. Uh, he was talking about the deeply unnecessary remaster of Fahrenheit, or Indigo Prophecy, where they basically, the only remastered thing was that they got it to run on modern machines. Didn't even do anything with the uh, um, uh, polygons or graphics or, uh, or such. Um, um, and I suppose that one technically wins. That's a completely unnecessary uh, repackage of a game, uh, uh, or at least it's a completely unnecessary use of the word remastered. Um, and to be fair, Broken Sword did have uh, some elements added to the director's cut, namely the opening sequence with Nico and the added puzzles uh, along the way. But uh, here's my thing about that. The opening sequence with Nico is infuriating and deeply unnecessary, and uh, and Nico still gets on my tits, um, and the added puzzles 
kind of, uh, you know, scream Gabriel Knight 20th anniversary to me in that they were unintuitive and uninventive and uh, of the kind of uh, logic puzzle slash switch flipping mayhem that I so desperately loathe. Um, so yes, you could say that uh, I was perhaps um, putting too much effort into criticizing Broken Sword Director's Cut for the wee-waggling thing. But my hatred for it goes much deeper than that. And I will, I will stand by my assertion that this was a game that did not need added padding. It did not need anything other than the fine adventure game that it was. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, so anyway, uh, back to um, whatever you were talking about. Well, thank you, trolls, and, uh, and you know that's that's a good clarification because you know I thought kind of thought the same thing. Like, oh, you know, it's just kind of the the stuff they they whacked in there, they kind of wedged in for the Wii version that that made it not that good. But I I understand your your perspective, and you know it's an interesting discussion to have. Frankly, maybe it might even be something to have a, a discussion about in the uh, in the next group hangout. Uh, you know, like what, like. You know, how do I explain it? What What's a good remaster? What makes a good remaster or remake of a game? Is there a good remake or remaster of a game? Are they necessary? You know, I think it's really good to, to really cool to have kind of these HD remakes where, you know, they up the fidelity on everything. But, you know, the reason that we played these games, you know, we played them back in the day. And, and if there was something glaringly wrong, like say they did a remaster of, you know, Space Quest 4 or something like that. Uh, you know, maybe some of the timer puzzles could be tweaked. The uh, the the skaterama sequence could be tweaked, so you didn't have to do like weird hacks to kind of actually pass it. Uh, stuff like that. Like I think tweaking things that were broken is great, and adding things in. I don't know because I don't feel like when they made these games that you know things were missing. You know, they were what they were, and if you're going to remake it, why add things? But, you know, I guess it's an interesting discussion to have. I'm going to keep that one filed away and see if uh, you guys that uh, that are available to take part in the next discussion, maybe that's something we can uh, we can chat about. So thanks for that, Trolls. Next, we have a voicemail from Brian, and uh, let's listen to what he has to say, I believe, about Privateer. Hey there, Joe. It's your number one blockhead, Brian, calling in. And uh, I wanted to share my experience with Wing Commander Privateer. So, I was a humongous fan of uh, the Wing Commander series from the very start. I actually saw Wing Commander 1 for the first time at the Calgary City Science Fair. I was a participant and uh, walking around, taking a look on one of my breaks at other people's booths, and there was this one kid playing Wing Commander and completely neglecting his uh, responsibilities and making the most of his day off of school. So I walked up and watched the guy play for a while, and not only did it completely rock my world seeing um, you were uh, in cockpit view and uh, navigating in this 3D space and being able to fly around these amazing 2D sprites and seeing them from all angles. But uh, the sound of it, the guy had an ad-lib sound card and it was the first time I'd ever heard one of those. And so just uh, it just uh, made fireworks go off in my brain uh, and I knew that I had to have both this game and this kind of hardware. So it wasn't long until I bought the game and uh, also got a Sound Blaster sound card. So uh, I was persistent uh, enough to finish Wing Commander 1. Uh, not quite good enough to finish the Secret Missions expansion pack. 
Um, I was uh, just out of my head thrilled with Wing Commander 2, which had expanded story and better graphics and uh, was just all around a better game. Also a very hard game, which, uh, again, I was persistent enough to uh, complete, but uh, not quite the Special Operations expansion packs, which were also extremely hard. Um, and so when Wing Commander Privateer came out, I got it, I think, on opening day or close to. It was a lot of money for a kid my age. Um, played the heck out of it for about an hour and a half or two hours and experienced what I know now as a phenomenon known as rubbing your face on the cheese grater, which is basically what my wife and I uh, consider to be playing a game and making absolutely no progress whatsoever, despite your very best efforts. I didn't get anywhere at all in that game. It was so frustrating, and I'm very ashamed at this blemish on my Wing Commander career that I have never actually been able to get very far whatsoever in privateer so i really do owe it to myself and i suppose to the noble art of video games in general to uh get past that first little speed bump and uh proceed with the story so someday i shall so i can enjoy it vicariously through your fantastic episode thank you very much as always for your great podcast and uh keep up the great work so long well thank you brian and uh first off let me just say uh, you mentioned uh the calgary science fair um if, <laughs> i assume you live around calgary i just spent about six uh, hours in in your airport uh it's very nice but uh i'd like to spend a bit less time in it next time uh flight delays and all that but uh yeah you know i mean i wouldn't feel bad about it uh privateer like i don't think i ever finished the story uh, and it's just one of those games, like like I said, and Amirad Akugo said, and and almost everyone said that that talked about the game. There's a certain point where the game just gets really hard, and you either kind of suffer through and and you know save game, take off, try to fight, survive, save game, restore this that, and get through that frustrating kind of really steep difficulty part to get to the end. Or you just kind of give up. And unfortunately for me, I just kind of gave up. I still consider it a great game. I still consider it, you know, one of the most interesting games I've ever played. But uh, yeah, getting getting past that point is definitely uh, definitely tough. And I can definitely agree with uh, rubbing your face against the cheese grater. It's I was going to say it's like grinding, but it's not even really like grinding. Because at least when you're grinding, you're making money and you're leveling and you're improving. But, uh, you know, in this game, it's you do grind. But a lot of the time you're not grinding. You're just trying and dying and trying and dying and trying and dying. So, you know, I, I, I fully, fully agree with you. Thanks for the voicemail, and uh, I'd like to hear from you again soon. And last of all, but not least of all, of course, uh, we have a voicemail from Chris. Hi, Joe. It's Chris here. I wish I would have been able to um, kind of send you a voicemail from the previous episodes. I've just been loving the show, and uh, I've been working outdoors for the last six months or so, and uh, I listen to the UMB cast over and over and over. Um, I've probably listened to each episode two or three times just to get through the very cold days. Um, so I won't be able to respond to some of the earlier shows because that'll take hours. But um, uh, the most recent Privateer show, um, I, I just loved it. You brought back so many fond memories I have of Privateer. It's still one of my favorite kind of space flight fight sim kind of games. And... Um, Got a couple little stories. Um, one was I just so well remember running home from school and uh, taking the bus home and running down the driveway so I could keep going with the next mission in Privateer. I probably sunk over 100 hours into the game 
uh, in high school alone. And it just, it was just a huge, huge time sink for me. Um, I remember going to school and I would, as soon as I get there, I had two or three friends who had actually played the game. I'd lent them my copy of the game and, uh, they played it to death. So we would spend whole lunch hours trading tips on, you know, how to take down some of the bigger capital ships, or if it was even possible to take down the huge confed capital ship, um, the Kilrathi ships, that kind of stuff, or how to get past the nearly impossible exploratory service missions at the end of the game. Um, Another one was, uh, I can specifically remember just cringing at the sound of my plasteel armor getting pummeled by, you know, enemy, enemy um, uh, laser fire. It's just a horrible sound, but right before you blow up, and there's always there's that chance that you might be able to afterburn away. But uh, really, um, most of the time you end up getting caught uh, in the uh, crossfire between two ships. One trick I used to use was afterburn the hell through a system to get to the jump uh, point. And then as soon as you hit the jump point, jump out. And there plays a little bit of a cinematic. And the ships can attack you while it's playing the cinematic. So you'll always have this terrible feeling where you see the laser fire coming towards your ship. And you think, come on, come on, come on, jump out, jump out. And sometimes you make it, sometimes you don't. So that was another big one. A third memory I have of Privateer was... Um, I had this crappy old mouse I used to play Privateer, and um, one of the things I had, I, I didn't have a joystick at the time, so I had to learn how to play uh, Privateer without a joystick, and I didn't happen to be any good with the keyboard, so I played the living hell out of Privateer using a mouse, and for anyone who's played it with a mouse, you can appreciate how difficult it is, but I thought it had two big advantages. One was, if you played with the mouse and you kind of erratically moved your mouse around, left, right, up, down, um, it would screw up the asteroid generation engine when you're stuck in, you know, asteroid systems or, um, you know, there's asteroids flying around, you hear them go, zhoo, zhoo, when they passed by your ship. The cool thing was, if you jittered your mouse around enough, it would screw the system up so badly, you could actually almost afterburn through an entire asteroid field without getting hit once, because they would be kind of popping up to the left of your ship, to the right of the ship, but never straight ahead of you. So if you got really good with the mouse, you could do that, and I don't think it was possible to do that with a joystick or the keyboard, because they couldn't move around the screen that fast. Um, and the other thing was... Um, uh, if anybody played with a mouse, you could actually have kind of pixel-perfect shots. Uh, the joystick and the keyboard were not so good for that. So you could actually nail enemies, start firing your lasers or meson blasters or whatever you had, tachyon cannons, um, while the enemy was still three or 4,000 uh, uh, clicks away incoming. And if you positioned it just right, there was like a 1 in 10 chance your, your big volley of laser, laser fire actually would hit and it would destroy a pirate ship, you know, really, really far away before the battle even got joined. So that was a huge thing. Um, the last thing was, I, I actually, I remember upgrading my mouse at this point. Um, my mouse was so bad, I actually wore out the mouse ball to the bare metal uh, playing Privateer, and my parents got really, really mad at me. So I had them drive me into the city to buy a brand new Logitech Mouse Man. Uh, I think it was called a Mouse Man Extreme or something like that. It was a three-button mouse. So I actually, um, I actually burned out a mouse playing Privateer because the old mouse ball was made out of metal surrounded with rubber, and it went right through the rubber. So those are my stories. Thank you so much, Joe. I love the show, and please keep uh, going at it. I can't wait to hear the next episode. Take care. I'll talk to you real soon. Bye.
Well, thanks, Chris. I mean, those are those are all great memories, and especially you know, <laughs> the mouse the mouse stuff is just like I think I played Wing Commander a couple of times with the mouse. I always had a joystick, but uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how it worked. I think when you move the mouse, a little white pointer came up, and the ship would kind of like steer towards the pointer, if I'm not mistaken. And God, those old mice with the you know before the optical mice were just the most frustrating things on earth. I mean, you know, the ball would get worn down or dirt would get in them and the little wheels wouldn't turn properly and you know i'd I'd have to go in there with um you know like uh q-tip with alcohol rubbing alcohol on it and clean them all up otherwise it just wouldn't track properly it was it was awful and uh yeah those logitech mouse man with the trackball things those were uh those were interesting i know a friend of mine had one and i could never quite figure out how to use it but uh Anyways, great, great memories, and thanks so much. Okay, so that's basically it, but before we wrap up, uh, because we hit the $100 per show uh, Patreon goal, uh, I'm going to start giving stuff away every month. So the giveaway for February, in honor of of the next episode and of uh, the release, uh, I'm going to give away a copy of Grim Fandango, remastered so as we tend to do email podcast at umbcast.com with the subject grim fandango giveaway and i will draw uh the lucky winner of a copy of grim fandango remastered from gog.com royalty free or drm free all that noise uh at the end of the month so again email podcast at umbcast.com with the subject grim fandango giveaway so that's that for the show. Uh, as I said last time, and as I just said again in the uh, the giveaway announcement, next week I will be talking Grim Fandango, and uh, you know hopefully I'll be getting out a YouTube play session before then. I don't know if I'm gonna record myself playing the original or uh, the remaster. Probably the remaster, just because I want to play it. Uh, but still time to get in your emails about the game, podcastumbcast.com, as always, to send your email or audio comments. Uh, three audio comments this week, which is amazing. Uh, keep sending those in. I love them. Uh, and so to end off the show, as I started doing with these, how about some music? Uh, this time around, I decided to hit up Wolfenstein 3D. Uh, this is a remix of the song Wondering About My Loved Ones by Bobby Prince. Uh, you'll recognize it as, uh, you know, kind of the sort of down-tempo main theme theme uh, from the game. Uh, this remix off of OC Remix is named my Loved Ones Are Gone by Psycho Crusher. The link to the song will be in the show notes, as always. So that's that. Thanks to Rick Moyer uh, for his great audio work. You can find him over at moyermultimedia.com. And don't forget, these news shows are made possible by your generosity over at patreon.com slash umbcast. Uh, if you find some value from the show, please consider joining my 32 current patrons and donating a buck or two per episode to help me with the costs, uh, you know, to continue doing uh, doing more stuff with the show. Uh, check out the show notes at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast. Uh, that's where I get a lot of the stories that I talk about on uh, on these news shows. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash show. Me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. You can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash umbcast where I put up videos of uh, my game research sessions. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. So that's that, and we will see you next time for Grim Fandango, here in the Upper Memory Block.
Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join.